0: May be seated for our first scripture reading, Romans three, nineteen through twenty
1: eight. Now we all know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fail short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. Though through faith in his blood, he did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where, then, is, this, is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On, on that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law.
0: Let's stand for the reading of our gospel.
1: From John chapter 8, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed.
0: And please be seated. <clears throat> so in the spirit of the Reformation... As the Scriptures declare, faith is yours, a free gift of God, to receive the grace of God, which is poured out on you through the merits of Jesus Christ, to whom be glory in the church and in us forever and ever. Amen. Well, uh, well, it's Reformation Day, as Pastor Max said, as we started out. And Reformation is kind of an important day. It's an important day for us as a church, and it's especially important when it's the 500th anniversary. Because the 500th anniversary of anything is pretty impressive. And the fact that we're still celebrating it, 500 years later, should tell us just how important the Reformation is. I, um, I learned about the Reformation in, uh, in my church growing up. Um, I'm from a small church. I've shared that with you guys before. Not a lot of Lutherans in Massachusetts, so like, like these three rows right here, that would be like Easter Sunday, right? Um, and, um, and in that church, we, we uh, I, again, I don't know how old I was, but we were watching one year the reel-to-reel 1953 version of the Martin Luther film, Right? Some of you saw it. That's a screenshot from it. Right, It was actually nominated for an Academy Award, by the way. And the main actor, like with that great tonsure shaved in his head, that's what that haircut's called. So I'm thinking of doing it for Halloween this year. Um, but as the movie was showing, it was one of the dramatic moments. I don't remember exactly which one it was, whether it was when Luther was nailing the 95 Theses to the door, or whether it was when he was standing before the Emperor, declaring, here I stand, I can do no other. It was one of those dramatic moments. And we we're watching the film... And all of a sudden there's this like effect on this on the screen, like this dramatic effect, and it and it kind of like looked like fire, like all around. Until somebody turned around and realized it wasn't a dramatic effect of the movie. The movie was actually on fire in the projector. Until like one of the one of the adults in the room was like kind of quick and they put the movie out and they put it out and like cut it back together and so we could keep watching. That was dramatic. Right? And and as a kid, that's when I learned about how dramatic the Reformation was. But fast forward years later, and I would discover that the Reformation was dramatic not just because of a film strip catching on fire, but it was dramatic because it really touched almost every aspect of life. And as we've been kind of highlighting throughout this 500th year anniversary, this 500th celebration, it, it truly touched almost all parts of Western society, of Western culture, to the point where we could, we could point to any number of things and say, this This is the impact of the Reformation. I I don't want to focus on all of those today because I don't want this just to turn into a history lesson. But instead, I want to focus on one part of it, the rediscovery of truth and what that means for us, what it means to know that God transforms. You see, that's the story of Martin Luther. And we're going to spend a little bit of time with Martin Luther this morning, though uh, my mom said to me yesterday, for a church that tries to go out of its way to say we don't deify Martin Luther... We're doing a pretty good, pretty bad job of that this weekend. But I do want to focus on just a little part of his life. Because when we focus on that part of his life, I think there's a, a mirror which reflects our own identity. It's something from which we can learn. I want to focus on one part of Luther's life as a monk, and that's his going to confession. Right, Luther was expected to go to confession every day as a monk, which meant that he would confess his sins before another person. And every day he would go and confess these sins, and Luther excelled at confession. He excelled at self-examination of going before this confessor and just pouring out his heart, pouring out his heart. And the reason that he did it was because he was constantly plagued by his sins. Even though he would pour out his heart, even though he would pour out these sins to a confessor, he still never felt satisfied because he felt like God was never happy with him, like God never accepted him. And so he, had, he decided that if he could just figure out what that one sin that God demanded, that one sin that he hadn't yet uncovered, if he could just get to that one sin and confess it before God, if he'd make the perfect confession, then God would accept him. Because he knew that God demanded perfection, and he knew that God was perfect, and he knew that he wasn't. And so as he searched that thing, as he, as he dug deeply into his own soul, one time, the legend says he spent over six hours in confession. Which leads me to ask the question how many sins can one man have when he lives in a cloister of the monastery? And yet, that's what Luther did confessing over and over again. But praise God, the man to whom he was confessing cared deeply for Luther. He was a man named Johann von Staupitz. And Staupitz cared for Luther and saw the plague that was the sin of his life. It saw the weight and the burden that that placed on Luther. And he wanted Luther to be relieved from it. He wanted Luther to find satisfaction for his sins. And so he constantly urged Luther, stop focusing so much on yourself. Stop focusing so much on your sins and focus instead on what God has done for you. He told Luther, hasn't Jesus died for your sins? But Luther would have none of it. Luther continually resisted this word. He continually resisted it because he had been taught something different within the church. And so Staupitz pushed him further. Luther, read the Bible. Spend your time in God's Word. But again, he resisted. And so Staupitz did something dramatic. Not lighting a film strip on fire dramatic, but dramatic. His job, his normal routine, was as professor of Bible at Wittenberg University. And so he resigned his post as professor of Bible and appointed Luther to that post instead. And he did that for one primary reason, so that Luther would have to study the Scriptures. Because as a professor of the Scriptures, he was expected to profess the Scriptures. He was expected to teach them with wisdom and insight. and So he would have to devote himself to studying and learning the Word of God. And Stalpitz reasoned that if Luther did that, that his life would be transformed. Luther taught about Genesis and Psalms, followed that up with Romans and Galatians. And in that sequence, the truth of the Scriptures were opened up for Luther. And the satisfaction which he thought he could find by making the perfect confession melted away into the realization of the perfection of Jesus Christ and of his sacrifice for Luther. And the fact that Jesus would redeem sinners like him, that God would pour his grace out freely, that Jesus Christ had died for his sins. And it was this truth that liberated Luther. It was this truth that set him free. And Luther was so excited about this truth and this transformation that later on he would say about Staupitz, had it not been for Dr. Staupitz, my soul surely would have descended into hell. He became zealous for this truth. Zealous for the unconditional and unmerited love of God in Jesus Christ. And he wanted everyone to hear about it. And so he he taught this truth. He taught it in his classroom and he decided that more people needed to get to this truth because the church had stepped away from this. And he figured that the church would be equally excited, equally enthusiastic to rediscover the truth that had set him free, that had caused his transformation. But what he found surprised him. What he found was resistance. He found a resistance to the truth that was transforming people's lives. He found a resistance that he didn't expect because he found that the church was quite content in the state that it was in, and that no one wanted to hear the teachings of a backwoods monk. And so Luther upped his, upped his, his reformation, upped his teaching, upped the ante, if you will. And then on October 31st, 1517, he nailed a, a bill, a document, that we call the 95 Theses to a church door at Wittenberg. Thesis for debate, asking, in fact, begging the Pope or leaders of the church to come and debate him on these things which needed to be corrected, the truths for which he was so zealous, the truths which had led to his personal transformation. And so we can say in a very real way that the Reformation began not with a hammer and a nail, but with the personal transformation of a monk named Martin Luther. We stop there for a second. Because that's our first point of contact with this account. As we think about what God calls us to, we realize this truth that great change often begins with change inside of one person. Great change often begins with change inside of one otherwise ordinary individual like you or me. Great change that comes from the grace of God can have great impact. Understand, brothers and sisters, God's not necessarily calling you to transform all of Western society. What God is calling is for the man to rediscover the truth of Scripture and what it means to be saved by grace alone and to say, my home needs more of this. Or God who's calling to a woman to rediscover the truth That the faith which God worked inside of her is a grace which receives the forgiveness which the world can't offer and who says, my home needs more of this. Of a man who says, my neighbors seem to lack something that God has given freely as a gift and so I want to display that for them. I want to share it in some way so that they will know it and goes and tells his neighbors. The truth of what God has done, of a woman who seeing her co-workers and the lifestyle that they lead is willing to step out and demonstrate love to them in a way that no one else will. See, great change often begins inside individual people. People who have been touched by God's grace, who in turn want to share that with others. The Church of Luther's day needed great change. It needed to be fixed. The truth is there was a lot that was broken inside of the church. The 95 theses were about abuses of papal power and about the evil sale of indulgences, right? The sale of forgiveness which was given for free but which the church was offering for sale. When Luther posted those 95 theses, they were really just the tip of what needed to be fixed within the church. You see, within the church, the ways of man had become the supreme order. The things that human beings had taught had become the things that people, on which people were taking their stand. And what Luther said was that God's Word needed to be restored to its preeminent position. God's Word needed to be the thing which above, was above any of the precepts or teachings of man. Grace and grace alone that saves need to be the primary teaching of the church. The unique confession that we have. Faith alone given by God would be the sole thing to receive this grace that humans couldn't make themselves right by their own money or by their activity, but that God loved them in Jesus Christ. And it was on these principles that Luther and his friends took their stand. And it was these very principles that the Pope and his leaders opposed. And they opposed them adamantly understand that some wanted Luther to be killed, that later on Luther would be excommunicated for this very teaching, that God freely offered grace. But many others had been transformed. Lives had been changed. And the Reformation could not be stopped because this personal transformation was happening all over as God's Word was setting people free, as God's grace was poured out on people's lives, not because of their money or because of what they had done, but because of what Jesus had done. And this transformation and this Reformation could not be stopped. Now, brothers and sisters, we, we could look at this as a, as a history lesson. Or we could say that this is a A cautionary tale on how to get excommunicated from the church. We could say that this is a lesson in revolution or a legend of a bygone era. But each one of those assessments would be to sell the Reformation short. Because the Reformation is about a restoration of truth that transforms God's people. The Reformation is about a transformation of God's people being set free from their sins. And in that regard, brothers and sisters, the Reformation is alive and well on October 31st, 1517 and October 31st, 2017. The Reformation is still alive and well as the Word of God is placed in the position where it belongs and where we expect God's Word to do amazing and powerful things. And we still expect that. We still expect that God's Word will transform hearts and lives as faith is created which receives the grace of God. You see, God's Word is the place on which we take our stand. And God's Word is the place where we hear God's voice speaking clearly to us. And God still speaks. He speaks to every man, woman, and child, as we say. He speaks to each one of us, and the message that he proclaims in the Scriptures is a message of love. A message of love that will transform each one of us. When Luther posted the 95 Theses on the church door, they were about abuses within the church that needed to be corrected. They were about those abuses, those things that needed to be fixed because it was stopping people from being transformed by the Gospel. I started thinking, Maybe we, should, maybe we should post a new letter, a new sign. But not on the church door, no, instead on our hearts. If we were post a sign on the door of our hearts, we would post a sign of the things that need to be reformed within each one of us because these are the things that are inhibiting us from being transformed by the Word of God. I started to think about how that sign would look. I think it would look something like this. If you can't read it, it says, My sin here. This is a generic sign. But what if we wrote our true sins on it? The things that keep us from being transformed by the Word of God, because this is what stops us. It's our own sin that stops us. You see, what Luther learned as he confessed his sins was that in focusing on Jesus Christ, Jesus set him free. Brothers and sisters, we need the same thing in our hearts. We need the same thing in our lives to admit that there are things that stop our own transformation, and those things are our sins. As we confess them before our God, God's voice speaks love. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. That's from Isaiah chapter 1. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified, that is, made as if we had never sinned, are justified freely by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's Romans chapter 3. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is a gift of God, not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. That's Ephesians chapter 2. Or praise God, the most famous one, the one that we all know from John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world. Or as was just read for us a minute ago from John chapter 8. If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, brothers and sisters, that's what the Reformation is about. It's about God's people being set free from the burden of their sin. It's about God's people being transformed by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Reformation is about transformation. Our transformation in Jesus Christ. To whom be glory now and forever. Amen.